Welcome to Blue Blood Rivalry TV Season 3, Episode 7. My name is Hassan Pinto, and I'm here with Natalie Bodie and Remy Swartz, and our super producer, Connor Dollard. Uh, today, we're going to talk about UNC and Duke's uh, football losses to their respective opponents, Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. And then we're going to go on and talk about Duke and Carolina basketball. This is going to be a feature-packed show. We're going to talk about everything inside and outside the games. And Natalie, Remy, are you guys ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Week 14 and the beginning of college basketball. I'm ready for it, Haas. Let's go. It's almost game time. Don't forget to pick up a six-pack or four-pack of the Blue Blood Rivalry Ale. Go to your local supermarket. If they do not have it, go to your manager and ask for it. The official game day beer, the Blue Blood Rivalry Ale, is light, crisp, and refreshing. Okay, we're going to start off with Duke and Carolina football, but we're going to kick it to our super producer, Connor Dollard. Connor, do you got any stats about the UNC and Duke losses this weekend that we can share with our audience? Yeah, thanks, Haas. I actually uh, I do have a couple numbers here. This is another really tough performance from the Duke offense. Um, Chase Bryce with another brutal performance. He actually is 93rd out of 95 qualified quarterbacks in completion percentage, but ranks fifth in passes attempted. Um, so not throwing the ball very well, but throwing the ball a lot. So not exactly the numbers you want to see. Um, and for the UNC side of the matchup, they went into the Notre Dame game with a plus 64-point differential in the fourth quarter. And uh, unfortunately, were shut out 14-zip in the fourth quarter of this game. So probably what turned the tide is their inability to finish strong down the stretch like they have all year. Um, and, and that kind of another stat that points to that is Notre Dame, or against Notre Dame, UNC finished with a season low in rushing yards, passing yards, and points, despite recording zero turnovers. So it's not, not good numbers for the matchup overall, but um, hopefully we'll uh, turn it around next week. Sounds like a rough week for both teams. But a little more rough for Duke, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Connor. I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's dig into this, okay? So let's talk. We're going to talk about uh, UNC's uh, thirty-one to seventeen loss on Friday to Notre Dame, and then we're going to talk about Duke's uh, losing to Georgia Tech fifty-six thirty-three on Saturday. Uh, Natalie, the defense started poor poorly again, allowing two first quarter touchdowns, uh, but they were able to clamp down and hold uh, Notre Dame to seventeen points. What do you think the Tar Heels and why are the Tar Heels still falling short on the defensive side of the ball, Natalie? 
Well, in that game in particular, I mean, they actually had a really good game, but it was just a better defense. I think what Notre Dame did is they completely shut down the running game. So if you shut down our run game that we tend to rely pretty heavily on with a couple of stars that we have, like Javante Williams, I mean, he was largely contained throughout the entire game. I think he had 28 yards. I mean, that is a huge difference from games we've won in the past. But I honestly think North Carolina's defense stepped up, but Notre Dame's defense was better. They shut down our offense, and when it came time, we just couldn't get enough going offensively. Okay, so is this in, in this season in terms of, Carolina season an indication uh, that the defensive coaching or the defensive recruiting is not up to par with where Carolina wants to go, Natalie? I wouldn't really go that far because I think this is sort of – this matchup in particular was a game of programs. You know, Brian Kelly, he's been around. He's gotten great wins at Notre Dame. He has all of his recruits. He's kind of set a program standard. Mac Brown has not gotten to do that yet. So the recruits that he has, we've had a couple very highly touted recruiting classes, but it's not all of his players on the field yet. He hasn't had enough time at North Carolina to really stake that claim. But I, I really think that this prior matchup, it just seemed like a game of programs and the stronger program won. Okay, okay. Remy, we're going to go over to Duke. Um, Duke allowed 56 points and 500 yards. Let's talk about their defense. Do they have one, um, Remy? Does Duke have a defense? Well, it kind of stings highlighting the 500 yards and 56 points because, honestly, our defense has been our strong point throughout the season. As Connor's mentioned, our offense is not the strongest and continues to let us down in games. But I don't think we can put this solely on on the defense because our offense had five turnovers, including four lost fumbles. And it's been our problem all year, like I said. But our defense did struggle this game for sure, and Coach Cutliffe attributed this a lot to the fact that we haven't played with our Wake Forest game getting postponed and then our scrimmage, we couldn't have scrimmages because of injuries and depth issues. So I feel like we just missed a lot of tackles and he attributed that to not being able to play. So is that an excuse? Is that a COVID-19 excuse or do you think that's rooted somewhat in fact? I think a little bit of both. I think COVID obviously puts on other stressors on us, but that is our our problem. We have to make those tackles when they're presented with us. Okay. Well, Nat, I'm going to go right back to you. COVID-19, how has that impacted UNC's uh, season or has it? Has UNC been impacted as well? I mean, yeah, everybody's been impacted, but I would say that definitely after the Notre Dame game, and I've referenced this so much in, you know, this season of our podcast, it can, you can't help but ask yourself, would it be a different game if Keenan Stadium was absolutely packed? Yes, it would be because I think you see a matchup last year like UNC Clemson. We don't stay in that game if the stadium isn't packed. And I think that UNC football is typically a program that can rally around a large fan base and a crowd. And undoubtedly, that's kind of been a factor. I wouldn't say it's, it's totally why we lost because we should be able to execute individually without fans. But I think if fans are there, some of those close games, we win or we come even closer, you know, last play to pulling it out. Okay. All right. So Natalie, bookmark that fan um, issue when we go to talk about basketball, because we're going to talk about no fans in the, uh, in Cameron indoors. So, but staying with uh, football, um, what happened to UNC in the second half on the offensive side of the ball? Statistically all season, UNC has been massive going into the second half. What happened, Natalie? 
I mean, I think it's more of a testament to Notre Dame than what Carolina did wrong. I do think that UNC had some really bad mismatches. Mac Brown even noted on that post game, but honestly, Notre Dame did a fantastic job. I even said they contained the run, but other than that, their pass rush posed a huge problem for UNC's offense. Sam Howell never was comfortable. I think he had a little over 200 yards. So they never really let him get going. And if you X out Sam Howell and the run game, it's going to be really hard for us to get anything going. So I really think that happened, but I don't want to be too high on Notre Dame. I'll be honest in terms of Notre Dame. I still have a bad taste in my mouth because I'm thinking 2013 BCS bowl, Bama beats Notre Dame 42, 14. I'm not sold on Notre Dame being just a great team. And that's why Carolina lost, but I do think they're legit this season. Um, not sure if they they're going to be Alabama, but they were a good enough opponent to really show where the gap is between UNC's program and Notre Dame's program. Okay, Remy, let's go back to that Georgia Tech game. Um, Georgia Tech gives up 40 points a game, and it seemed like it was going to be a good opportunity for uh, Chase Bryce to show that he's actually a big-time quarterback and he could get this offense moving. What happened on offense, Remy? I think it's the story of the season, turnovers. But if you do look at Chase Bryce, you could maybe say he had a better game. He's passed for two scoring touchdowns and only threw one interception in comparison to, I think, the worst he's had is four. But unfortunately, I think we had to rely on him too much within the game. Like we've talked about in previous weeks, Mateo Durant and Deion Jackson being strong in our offense, but they were each held to 50, 54 yards rushing each. So I think that's something that definitely hurt us in our offensive game. And I don't know, we're just not good enough to not have a dominating force in the run game. Okay, so Natalie, you you came back from Texas. You're excited about Mac Brown this season. After the Notre Dame loss, as a fan, as a student, as a Tar Heel, how do you feel about the game today? I mean, this past weekend. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't find it too disheartening. And mainly because if you look at the deficit from that game, I think, and I'm not sure the official stat on this, but I think that might be the biggest deficit Carolina has lost under all season. Usually we lose within a score, which is even more heartbreaking. But towards the end of the game, I'm thinking of one drive Notre Dame had where they ate up like nearly six minutes on the clock for 97 yards it looks like if we had more time maybe we could get something going but they shut down our offense and their defense was better than ours even though our defense played up so it's not a game that I'm really noting on and thinking man we just you know we let that one get away from us kind of how I am Virginia and Florida State I mean if we come into this game without a loss to Virginia and without a loss to Florida State? Do we maybe play even harder? Yes, but do we win? I'm not going to go that far, but I just think that the losses I'm noting on that I'm getting disappointed about as a Tar Heel fan are those two losses previously this season. Not a loss to Notre Dame. Like I said, I don't think they're the number one team in the country. I think there's a big gap between them and Alabama, but I think they're legit and they're better than our program is just not where Notre Dame's program is. So I'm more disappointed to answer your question, Haas, about the Virginia game and about the Florida State game than this Notre Dame game. Okay, so I'm going to just stay right there. Natalie, there's a lot of energy coming into the season. Recruits will fall in Carolina's way. In Mac Brown's third season with Carolina, back with Carolina, do you think that momentum will continue and the recruits will continue to flow in so that Mac can do what he wants to do at Carolina? 
Absolutely. Um, I don't think, I think that Matt fabulous recruiter. I think that his past two recruiting classes have spoken to that. I don't think that any of the hype train will slow down anytime soon because honestly, each season we keep getting better and improving. And I mean, if you want to go back that far, UNC was at one point, the number five team in the country, not saying they deserved it, but it did happen. So I think every year um, Mac Brown is proving himself more and more. I think once all of his recruits get to take the field and he really establishes this as his program, maybe year four in, then you can say something like that. But even I watched an interview with Mac Brown before this season. He even said he thinks they're going to be pretty good this year, but he thinks they're going to be good next year and possibly great the following two years. So I think it's kind of matching even his own projection that he has in his head. All right. So Remy, we're going to go back to Duke football, Miami Hurricanes, number 10 in the country. If you, do you think you can win this game? If you win this game, does it salvage the season? What does this game mean to a Duke student, Remy? Tell us. Well, to answer your first question, Haas, I really don't have faith in my Blue Devils in terms of this game. I don't know what, why I would have faith. Um, but even if, I, even if they did win, I don't think it would salvage the season. I mean, as an athlete myself, like winning one game, I don't think defines a season unless you're in the NCAA tournament, in my case, and you're playing to win and survive in advance. But when you have a one and seven record in conference next to your name, I don't think there's much of a difference being made by one game. Okay, so I'm going to stick with you, Remy. Um, not a good recruiting class coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you expecting for the following season? More of the same? And if there's more of the same, is it time for Duke to, to go in a different direction from Coach Cutcliffe? No, that's what I was actually going to bring up, Paul. It's funny that you say that because – I went back and like looked at previous records in the last four and, and including this year for five years. And 2019, we were five and seven, 2018, eight and five, 2017, seven and six, and 2016, four and eight. So that's 24 and 26 overall with obviously a losing record. And then if you add this record, the best we could be if we win the Miami game and the Florida State game, it's four and seven. So obviously we have, again, a losing record over the last five years. So, I mean, Haas, you're a businessman yourself, like, let's compare it to a business. If you were not profitable in the last five years, wouldn't you look towards changing management, yep. changing um, leadership within your organization? So I think maybe that's the direction that Duke football needs to go in. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think Cutcliffe got out to a great start. He did get that team to the Orange Bowl, I believe in 13 or 14. And, um, and it looked like Duke football was going in the right direction. But I, I get, I, I agree with you. Uh, as a businessman, I think it's trending in the wrong direction and you need to stop it before it becomes a joke. So Natalie, I'm going to like shift back to you. And UNC's got, I believe, Western Carolina and Miami on its schedule. Um, do you think we can beat Miami? We should be, you should beat uh, Western Carolina. Um, but what do those wins do for that program? I mean, I think it just sets, you know, a great foundation for the following season. If we can add two more W's to our chart, then that's wonderful. I think it, it will work well for recruiting and momentum. But to be honest, we know that we're out of the, obviously, the ACC title game, playoff contention. So I think now it's about getting a competitive bowl and really have something to show for going forward. Okay, so let's talk about this star quarterback, Sam Howell. 
these final two games, how important are this, these two games to set up his junior year for next year and to set that team up to be a big-time um, team for the following year? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would echo all the reasons I just explained. Individually, he's had a great campaign, freshman and sophomore year. If he totally blows it the last two games of the season, yeah, it could pose some problems, but it's not going to take away largely from what he's done for a season in three quarters of a second season. I mean, he's already proved himself. He is a consistent guy. I mean, I don't really think it's always up and down game for him. I think obviously he keeps this up. He could be a high draft pick next year. But as you mentioned, he's a true sophomore. He's draft eligible next season. And I mean, we really just got to get everything out of having him as our quarterback. I hope we have a great season, his final season, because I mean, he deserves it. And so does the program. All right, right, right. It's almost game time. Don't forget to pick up a six-pack or four-pack of the Blue Blood Rivalry Ale. Go to your local supermarket. If they do not have it, go to your manager and ask for it. The official game day beer, the Blue Blood Rivalry Ale, is light, crisp, and refreshing. So, team... Let's shift over to NCAA basketball. The Blue Blood Rivalry is all about basketball. We do football. We do these other sports. But the real meat and potatoes is basketball. Um, we're going to shift over to basketball. Remy, um, Natalie, are you guys ready to, to kind of talk about basketball? Absolutely. But, you know, I actually I want to flip this on you, Haas, because <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. You are you kind of play both sides, right? Because like you're a UNC uh-huh. guy, you have kids that went to Duke, your wife went to Duke. Okay, so you're watching all of these games. I want some Hassan Pinto hot takes. Both programs right now go. Hot take one hundred and one. I'm a blue blood. I'm I'm a I'm a combination of Duke, Carolina. I've got family members, wife at Duke, daughter at Carolina. I went to Carolina. And I think that these two programs are the polar opposites of each other. Uh, I believe that Duke University is more of an urban audience, an urban center, you know, center type of turnout, one type of deal. And Carolina is more of a, a non-urban, um, rural type community that wants Family. stability. Family, tradition, players that stay longer. Um, And for me, I went to Carolina at a time when basketball, where the one and dones were at Carolina, when the guys that went to the NBA were at Carolina. And it's just been surreal to see that flip-flop. But what has not flip-flopped is the two programs are uh, equally as good, at, but they just do it in a different way. So that's my hot take. Um, I don't think they're they're better than each other. I just think they're equally different. So this week, I want to kind of, you know, kind of get some references of what happened this past week. And instead of for me uh, or you, Natalie, or Remy, um, we're going to switch it over to Connor and give us some um, hot stats from um, this weekend's basketball games. Hot Connor, take us through what happened. Yeah, so uh, Duke entered the season uh, at ninth in the country, and UNC came in at 16. 
which to start off with, I was a little bit, I think it's a little misleading. Um, Duke actually doesn't have a preseason All-American for the first time since 2016, which is slightly concerning. This team is essentially led by Jalen Johnson, who's a freshman. Um, Very talented, but like we saw in the Michigan State game, where he was 4 for 11 from the field and 0 for 2 from 3, he can struggle at times with like high-volume shooting. And, you know, this is what happens when you have to lead to an inexperienced team, which is, you know, what you have to do. Duke lost 75% of their scoring from last year and almost 70% of their rebounding. Um, Matthew Hurt has tried to take over this role a little bit, and he has done an okay job. But last year, he only averaged 3.8 rebounds a game. For UNC, I think they have a lot of hope. Um, They come in with the number two recruiting class in the nation, and they have returning Garrison Brooks, who's a preseason All-American. The the player to watch here for me is Caleb Love. Um, He leads the team in field goals attempted, but he has the lowest field goal percentage and three-point percentage on the team. Love looks like the same guy that Cole Anthony kind of was last year, high volume, high usage, leading the team from the guard spot, which isn't something you necessarily see out of a freshman in a Roy Williams's team. But um, I think this UNC team's a really good blend of scoring from last year and veteran and uh, youth team talent. So I think they have a they have a pretty solid outlook for the rest of the year. I want right. to slide in, Haas, and I want to say three things. I want to say, one, I think that Cole Anthony was and is overrated. Just throwing that out there. Two, if I'm a Duke fan, so many losses. Did you hear that list? That's a lot of players gone. Three. Thanks, Natalie. <laughs> how, <laughs> three. How does UNC have the number two recruiting class, which is probably like our highest in how many years? I know we said it when last season was absolutely horrible. We, let's just act like it didn't exist. It, last season was horrible. And you note, Haas, we don't follow the urban culture. We're, we're still like the family, stick around, don't go to the draft right away, play for your team, that family culture. So is that still more relevant than the urban culture if we have the number two recruiting class in the nation this year? That's all I'm saying. Those are my three we do have a family atmosphere, the brotherhood. Come on, guys. Everyone the one-and-done brotherhood? Like, I'm, I'm in it with you guys yeah, for six months in the draft? Like, what brotherhood is that? The brotherhood, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's a good hashtag for Duke. Good hashtag for Duke because they have to say it, whereas UNC can just be it, right? Like, we are the family culture. We don't need a family or brotherhood hashtag like Duke does to try to create the facade. So, so the, the hashtag for Carolina was Carolina family. And for basketball, going back to Coach Smith, it was always called the Carolina family. Like when you come into Carolina's program, you're not just coming into uh, a, a program. You're coming into a family that you can Genius. be Genius. in for the rest of your life and your kids and your grandkids could be a part of that. Um, the brotherhood hashtag is, you know, I think that's really, really great. I mean, it's urban, it's edgy. It goes on with, you know, goes on to represent everything that Duke is. For me, Duke is an urban campus that has been located in the South. It targets urban students um, in New York, San Francisco, LA. I mean, urban folks from all over the country and Carolina's the, you know, the the university of the people. Um, as we go into these games, I watch these games. I watch Caleb Love. I watch Deron Sharp. I watch Walker Kessler. 
On the other side of the ball, I watched Jalen Johnson, Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart. And my takeaway was, this is not Zion Williamson. This is not, um, this is not, and you're going to laugh about this, uh, Natalie. This is not Kobe White. Okay, we don't have those guys that are coming onto campus with freshmen that can take over. Um, Natalie, is that a hot take or is there some facts to that? I don't think that's a hot take. I think you're speaking facts. Um, I once again want to reiterate Cole Anthony wasn't as overrated. Kobe White, not. He had the best performance, I think, of anyone. He wasn't even the most highly, you know, regarded recruit. But I think it's it's for right now, in the beginning of the season, we could eat our words later, Haas, but right now it's facts. You're right. Okay, uh, Remy, can you tell us about the difference between coming on campus when Zion, Zion was there and the group that you have this year. What is the difference? I think, well, honestly, I think it comes down to, yeah, COVID too. I don't think there's enough hype around basketball right now just because we're not allowed to have fans. Like you had people camping to watch Zion and now he can't really go into Cameron. But as a player, I mean, Zion, you go to watch a show. It's not even, you don't even think of it as a basketball game anymore. It's a show. It's a Zion show. Mixed with RJ Barrett. I mean, two best players in the country. So I don't know. It's definitely different, but Zion was something to watch for sure. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I don't know if it was COVID, but when I turned on the games, I was just disappointed. I saw guys that could not shoot. And I, my, when I looked at the TV for Carolina, I said, why did you not recruit a shooter? When I went to the Duke game, my first reaction was Alex O'Connell, like Coach K, like, why isn't Alex O'Connell part of the plan? Because you need that outside shooting. And personally, I felt like Alex could have contributed this year instead of transferring to another program. What are your thoughts on that, Remy? I know. I'm honestly shocked knowing we were losing people and especially like he would have been a veteran on the team where we lack older players. I'm surprised he decided to transfer his last year because, I mean, he was in and out of games, especially when he was a freshman, sophomore. He didn't not play he played some he played minimally last year but I feel like he definitely I agree with you could have made an impact I mean we had three players go over 19 against Michigan State so in outside shooting so we definitely could have had him made an impact because you cannot shoot now here's the question let's talk about the question the question this year in basketball is going to be what is coach K going to do what is Roy Williams going to do Roy Williams has the number two recruiting class but he has players on his team that are older, that can play. Is Roy going to let his freshmen come into this uh, college and develop? Or is he going to go play them so that he can get another round of one and two ranked recruits? Or is Coach K going to coach? Or is he going to try to get these guys to the league? Natalie, what are your thoughts? So you're asking me a Coach K question. Well, I'm not as familiar with his behavior. I honestly, I can't say. I think you pose a lot of good different possibilities, but I think he's trying to find out his team's identity just as much as the public is. And I, I really, I'm more of a Roy Williams type of personnel gal, but Remy, what do you have on that? No, I agree with you. I think he's still trying to figure out their identity, but I don't feel like he has much of a choice. He has to rely on these freshmen to make an impact. I mean, he had five guys playing significant minutes that were freshmen and they hadn't played in big games like that, but that's what we've got. We've, 
we don't really have a lot of veterans, like I said. So I feel like that's really what he's going to rely on. Okay, so I ask him that question. They lost all their veterans. I feel like Carolina is never in that position. Again, a testament to the different culture. But like I said, they lost so many people. Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, Jack White, Alex Connell. I mean, that was the entire team. Like, that was everyone in the rotation that you were looking for. So I have no clue. Yeah, the really the only one who stepped up is Matthew Hurt so far. Wendell Moore's kind of struggling. He struggles to shoot. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. Okay, so Natalie, let me ask you a question. And this is what I was getting at. Should Roy go to war with Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycat, Leaky Black, uh, and uh, Andrew Playtech? Or should he go to his freshman? That's the question I'm asking you. And I'm going to tell you, I watched the game. Playtech, this is his chance to shine, and he's just not good enough. He cannot shoot an open jumper if he wanted to shoot it, and that's supposed to be his role. Your thoughts, Natalie? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on your last comment, but what I'll say is I think that Roy Williams is still trying to figure out his rotation, and we know that he's not going to totally hand this to freshmen. I mean, we know that. I think it will be a blend of veterans and newcomers talent sticks out in one area he may make a sub but it's definitely going to be a core group of veteran freshmen rotated in and out until we really cement who is in our rotation who's our our fifth guy off the bench but um or sixth guy off the bench but also I think that in some of their games so far like our freshmen really they looked inexperienced and I'm thinking of the rookie backcourt with Caleb Love and RJ Davis against Texas where they had a backcourt of Coleman and Ramey who played over 100 games at Texas and they just kind of got it handed to them so I think there's still some preseason lessons being worked out right now but to answer your question I think it will be a blend of veterans and freshmen it's not Roy Williams style to go in all new guys okay okay Remy I watched the, the Duke games, and I felt like uh, this last game that they lost, I believe Jordan Goldwire came off the bench. I yeah. feel like Golden jo- Jordan Goldwire should be a starter. I feel like Joey Baker should be a starter. I feel like Warren Wendell Moore should be a starter. I feel like Matthew Hurt should start. And the only freshman that should play is Jalen Johnson, okay, because I think he's a big-time player. But the rest of these guys, DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, is Coach K going to do the right thing and play the best players and not worry about next year's recruiting class? Your thoughts, Remy? I think, yeah, like you said, the first game they started Joey Baker, they started Jordan Goldwire, they started Matthew Hurt, Wendell Moore, but then, like you said, Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker were out of the starting lineup against Michigan State, and I think if you look at their minutes, Jordan Goldwire played 26 minutes uh, off the bench. So he played significant minutes but because I think they need to rely on his defense and his leadership, uh, having played in those big games last year. And like you said, some of those younger players, they're just inexperienced. They don't know how to make the shots. They get fouled or they get fouled um, and miss a shot. They get a little bit of contact where it's not a foul and they think it is and then they miss. So I think they need to elevate their game in terms of scoring but I think it really needs to come down to they need to find those leadership people and those veteran players need to step up when they are on the court and make sure Coach K knows that they need to be on the court. Okay, Remy, I'm going to stick you in Jordan Goldwire's shoes right now. Uh, first up question I'm going to ask, do you know Jordan Goldwire? Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So get in his shoes. You're the experienced guard. You've helped Duke win some big games. You've been around with Zion. You've been around with the last class. 
How do you feel Michigan State game and Coach K puts you on the bench, even though you play 26 minutes as an athlete, Remy, how do you feel? I kind of be frustrated, I think, honestly, not knowing the conversation that went on or if there even was a conversation. But I feel like he at least owes him an explanation as for why he wasn't starting. I mean, they needed to establish that defensive pressure right away in the tempo of the game. And I think they got off, you can say off to the wrong foot. And they, Coach K says they lacked intensity coming in after halftime um, on the court. So maybe Jordan Goldwire could have added that. But I don't know. I would be shocked if I were him. I'd be frustrated. I'd be back in practice trying to get any word from Coach K about what I need to improve on to be that starter. Does okay. that point to off-the-court problems, though? Like maybe he's not a big work ethic guy. Maybe there's problems behind the scenes. I mean, that's what sticks out to me, you know, just without context, without knowing, just right away. I don't know. I mean, if you on the court, I think he's a very hardworking player. Um, off the court, I'm not 100% sure how he is, like if there's an issue in the classroom, if there's an issue like with his mentality or his the way he talks to his teammates. I have no idea. Like to me, he's only been very nice and a like funny guy, like very welcoming, always willing to chat kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. Definitely is possibility there could be something there if they are choosing to start these freshmen over someone who's experienced. You know what it says to me? I'm going to tell you what it says to me that Coach K sold out, that he sold out the game of basketball by not playing the most experienced, not playing the best players. And Coach K was going into a Cameron indoor that was naked, nobody in the, in, in, in the stadium. And I'm thinking, you know what? He doesn't have that home court advantage. And that Duke advantage is a real thing. And I, I felt like Coach K got away from himself. I felt like Coach K... Jordan Goldwire should have started. His more senior players should have been on the court. They have – those are the players that had the experience to win that game. And if I were go Jordan Goldwire, I'd play my butt off. But I'm not going to play if I'm starting that big game against Michigan State. Natalie, what are your thoughts? I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think that when you mentioned the crowd factor, you said we were going to put it on pause from earlier with the football discussion to now. I think it's a great time to bring it up. I mean, I don't think Carolina stays in the game as much with last season at our own arena if it's not totally packed out with fans. And I think the same for Duke. I mean, Cameron Indoor is a totally different environment. It's super famous for a reason. It creates an edge that you can't get elsewhere in college basketball. So, I mean, I think you're totally right. And when you reference selling out, I think it's a difference in the culture too. I mean, what reason does Coach K really have to sticking to his veteran players and really embracing that that leadership gives you some type of principle in the lineup and already an accredited number of minutes as compared to the freshmen? He doesn't because he has these freshman superstars like the Zions that come in that he guarantees minutes to get them to sign. I mean, that's kind of been the nature of his program and the differentiation between his program and the Carolina program for a while now okay so here's my here's my hot take when you bring in a team like zion williamson that group mm -hmm. that's so much better than what you have on your bench then you play that group it's a basketball decision when you bring in a group of players that are in the number three in uh recruiting class in the country, which is what you have right now, but they're not better than what you have on your bench from an experience perspective, from a gameplay perspective, 
you play your best players. Now, I'm going to shift this over to Roy Williams. This is one of my problems with Roy Williams. He's so vested in culture. He's so vested in values. He's so vested in this Carolina way that you have to play your best players. And Roy doesn't always do that. Natalie, your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think you're right. But at the same time, it gives some incentive to being one of those guys that sticks after year and really buys into the family concept and I also think at some level it, it's kind of his bond with the players as well like I don't think if you take the Jordan Goldwire situation and put it in the context of Williams coaching career I don't think that happens and I think that there's a certain level of respect between the player and the coach and I think that you know what you're getting with Roy Williams and you're never really chancing a sellout type moment like you mentioned with Coach K. So there is, you know, you can point out flaws to the system most definitely, but I also think when you do a side-by-side -side comparison, and I would go with the way that Carolina does things rather than Duke, and it doesn't mean that Carolina is going to get as many views or hype as Duke because they're not. They don't have the Zions. They don't play those players like Duke always does. So, I, I mean, like I said, it's it's not a system that are flaws within it, but head-to-head -head, I would take Carolina's way over Duke's. Okay, so let's uh, continue with this empty stadium. My hot take, Remy, Duke basketball is going to be really, really – it's going to really struggle this year because there's going to be no home court advantage at Cameron, and teams are going to come in and believe they can get a win. That Teams that have never gone in there are going to believe that they can get a win. My hot take on Carolina is um, the Dean Dome – on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, unless Duke is never really rocking. So I don't think it's going to be that significant of an advantage or a disadvantage with COVID-19. But I do think Duke is going to have a problem because the home games that they have at Madison Square Garden, yes, I did. I call them home games at Madison <laughs> Square Garden. In addition to their home games at the most, the craziest arena, they won't have those home games. There'll be neutral site games, which Duke has historically not done well. Remy, I think you're in a long, uh, a long, you're in, in store for a long season. What's your hot take? I hate to say that I kind of agree with you, Haas. Um, I think there's a lot of hype around Cameron Indoor, like you say, and I think the veteran players know that and like they're used to that. So that's going to be a big change for them. And even the freshmen coming in, they know. They're coming in. They're going to get all the support, all this love from fans, students. They're going to be the big hot shots on campus. But now they don't even have that. Like, you won't, you won't see them walking around campus. I think they're locked away in the Waduke somewhere um, for COVID-19 precautions. But, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it gives another team another edge. And they can even say now, hey, I beat Duke in Cameron. No one's going to ask if it was because there weren't fans there or what was the atmosphere like. They're just going to say, oh, we beat Duke in Cameron. So I definitely agree with you that I think Duke might struggle not having fans. And that's the thing. It's not going to go down in record books with an asterisk like COVID-19 season. It's just straight up beating Duke. So if you're Duke, you're going into every game. Like even if you're not – say at that time you're not even ranked, every team wants to beat Duke. 
like every team wants to get up and beat Duke in basketball. So that's just also another component, which, I mean, I think you can apply it to Carolina as well. But as you mentioned, Toss, I don't think they're going to struggle with the fan factor as much. They probably still will. But, I mean, I just don't see it being as great as, as what Duke will deal with. All right. So, Natalie, we're going to stick with you. Carolina's top recruiting class since 2009. You know, those one-and-dones, those big-time players, um, they haven't been on campus. They, they, they really – Roy has coached up, you know, three stars and four-star recruits. And he really hasn't had five stars, but he's got them now. My question to you, Natalie, is – is Roy going to sell out and turn it over to his entire team of freshmen that can't shoot from the outside or turn it over to Garrison Brooks and his upperclassmen and Playtech who has not risen to the occasion. Um, Playtech should have been big these, these opening game and he wasn't. What would you do, Natalie? I mean, I 100% don't think Roy Williams is going to sell out. I'm confident in that. He has never given the game entirely to freshmen. He won't this year. I think that in the Maui tournament, Leaky Black took big strides. Garrison Brooks has done a lot for Carolina. He will continue to. We have a great core of veterans. But I think the difference is, is now we have some talented freshmen who they might take Playtech spot. And you see Roy Williams trying to include Playtech in the rotation, you know, honoring the fact that he is a multi-year guy. And I don't think he's going to totally throw that out the window. I think he'll continue getting opportunities. But in terms of switching up the rotation with younger players, a person like Playtech may not see minutes if another player really stands out. Roy Williams, sometimes, as you said, he does not play the best players. He goes with veteran guys. But when it matters, there's a reason he's won so many games and has championship relevancy in the past three or four years. And that's because I don't play guys like Playtech if there's a freshman who's super hot. Okay, so here's my hot take. Play your best players. Make You don't give anything. This is sports. And it's a meritocracy. And Roy Williams shouldn't give anybody anything. If Garrison Brooks is his best player and nation's player of the year, Garrison Brooks should be on the field. If Amando Baycott is his rebounder, he plays. But if De'Ron Sharp is rebounding better, we got to get De'Ron Sharp on the field. I, I don't think it has to be either or. What I see is Roy typically sticks to his Carolina family plan, longevity plan, keep the kids on campus plan, stall their NBA uh, development plan. And then Coach K does the absolute opposite, says, let me keep my train and my truckload of NBAers coming in so I'm the coach that puts the most players in the NBA. I don't think it should be either or. I think it should be the best players at Duke, most experienced players, the players that are most likely to give you a win play and if you're going to play Jordan Jordan Goldwire 26 minutes he should be a starter okay and that's my hot take and let me just say I'm with you I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive you don't have to have a family culture or playing the best players I don't think those are two separate entities but what I will say is with Roy Williams we're talking preseason tournaments we're talking the Maui Invitational we're not talking all ACC play right now. So, yeah, he's going to mix in different guys. Way too early to make that call saying that he's not going to play the best players. I know there have been implications with that mentality in the past, but I simply don't think it's mutually exclusive to have a family tradition and not play your best players. They're not two separate entities. I think you'll see a mixture of it, and right now is totally experimentation for both sides. I agree with you, Natalie. 
All right. Well, I disagree with you, Natalie, but I tell you guys, this has been a phenomenal show. I mean, basketball, basketball, basketball. I haven't seen this much energy from the Blue Blood Clue until we get to basketball. So I want to thank everybody for uh, being a part of Blue Blood TV Season 3, Episode 7. I want to thank the great Remy Swartz, the great Natalie Bowley, and, of course, our super producer, Connor Dollard. Thank you all. And until next week, we out. We out. Bye, guys. We out. I do whatever I want, whenever I want. I love it. People keep talking. I just keep winning. I'm just like, they talking reckless. I don't believe them. I think they bluffing. They just be talking. They just want clout. I'm just so popping. I'm just like, yeah. Everybody trying to get a rise out of me. Best girls trying to get a high out of me. I don't talk bad unless you worthy. Hanging plaques up like jerseys. 25 back for lies on me. My family relies on me. Three, five stars on my home, though. Walk around in slippers and robes, though. They ain't a pole in the cold. The industry full of some hoes. They letting like anything go. People are shady as fuck. I keep to myself, but I feel the energy, though. None of these people are friends with me, though. I don't put anything past them. I don't see none of y'all next to me, though. I think they mad that I passed them. I do whatever I want, whenever I want.